Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. What up, good people? This is Crime Will Tell. I'm Jamie. And I'm Carrie. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this one because I ain't got nothing about it. This one's got a lot of twists and turns. So, do you know what we didn't do last time that we're going to start this time with? What's up? Brothers Babble. <gasps> oh, okay. I forgot What's, to do What did Brothers he have Babble. to say? It's short and sweet this time. Okay. Uh, this is related to episode 10 for the Lefko murders. Okay. All I got were three sentences, excuse me, four <laughs> sentences. And it is, quote, liabilities, gold. <laughs> also, Bart Ross will haunt my dreams. Why did I search for his picture? End quote. Yes. Because, as you said, if Barry Manilow and a possum got together and made sweet. Yeah. I mean, unless it's legit. Yeah. So that's okay. Brothers Babble. Hey, brothers, sorry. I, I missed you last episode, but I got it in there. We got you. Yeah. Oh, and something else. I have an update on Zhang Yu Zhang. Oh, okay. If you guys haven't listened to episode nine yet, Zhang Yu Zhang, it's based in South Korea. She was a, a young woman who was driven to kill by her true crime obsession. Her trial um, just concluded and she was convicted of murder desecration and abandonment of a corpse and she received a life sentence in addition to that life sentence she also must wear a tracking device for 30 years wow i've never Just heard of that in case she but i don't understand why she has to wear a tracking device if she's in jail for life yeah and, and she's to serve her time in the busan correction facility where she's been held ever since she was arrested on May 27th. Huh. And something that I learned is that somehow, some way she had actually brought some of the body parts because she dismembered the tutor mm -hmm. yeah. to her own home. What? So police ended up finding body parts in the suitcase that she had abandoned after the taxi ride, some of the body parts in the tutor's home and some of the body parts in her own home. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what she was planning on doing with them i don't know that's creepy and weird but that's good to know what's going on thank you for the update on that yeah life in prison plus 30 years of wearing a uh, tracking device i don't know if it's ankle arm a lapel pin i don't know <laughs> i don't know that's weird though we'll wait for 31 years when she escapes because she's like yes finally the crazy thing is in 30 years she's only going to be 53 not wild. She's so young. Her whole life sets it. She just threw it all away. Man. She also killed and dismembered somebody, so she kind of yeah, deserves it. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Also, I have to put myself in the correction corner. Again? Yeah. This was a doozy, actually. I'm calling <laughs> myself out. So um, Robert Hansen, parts one and two. Mm -hmm. um, there are three names that I completely fucking just, just it was abomination of what I did. And what's funny is that I arrogantly thought, these are easy. I know how to pronounce these. Yeah. Nope. So C word. Yeah, you yeah. were right. It's Seward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Canal Peninsula it is not Canal Peninsula. It's Kenal Peninsula. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kenal, you know. <laughs> Uh -huh. And then one of the victims, her name was Megan Emmerich. Her middle name, I said, was Soiban. Mm -mm. It's actually pronounced Siobhan. It's an Irish name, and it's spelled S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Mm -hmm. Soiban. Nope, it's Siobhan. Yeah, Siobhan. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so. you, can't, you can't sound that motherfucker out and be accurate. 
You cannot. And usually I go to, how do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce that? But I was, I saw all of these and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's easy. I don't even need to look it up. Nope. I was wrong. So I was O for three on those. So that's okay. You owned it. It's all about accountability. It's corrected. No big deal. Okay. I'm done with the, with the housekeeping stuff, but okay. yeah, I had a lot of stuff there. Sorry about yes, that. That's all right. Hey, business. Let me take a little, little sip of my, my bourbon. Delicious stuff. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to hear a wild case? Yes. Late on me. Okay. So first of all, I would like to say that this case was suggested by one of our loyal listeners, and from what I've heard, is a cool-ass chick, Erin O'Hearn. Oh, hey, Erin. What up, girl? She lives in New York, and this case happened in her neck of the woods. So just oh, wanted awesome. to give a shout out and say thank you to Erin. I meant, I meant awesome that Erin is an OG listener and suggested this case. Not awesome that this case actually happened. Oh, correct. Yes. I just want to be clear. I, yeah. I never advocate for murder. Same sees. So this case is extra unique because this takes place starting on September 11th, 2001. Oh, September 11th. Any American listening to this just went, oh, we all mm-hmm. know that day. It is forever locked into our brains and the annals of history. Yeah, probably one of the most tragic days when the Twin Towers in New York were attacked, as well as other attacks at the Pentagon and in Pennsylvania. So this was just a day of chaos and emotions and just... realness. Yeah. It's crazy. Everybody that lived in the United States when this happened... I bet you they can remember exactly where they were when they heard the news. Oh, for sure. So to even add to that even further, this case happened in New York. Oof, okay. So we're talking New York on September 11th, the day of the attacks. So 35-year-old Michelle Ann Harris was working as a server at a restaurant called Lefties in Spencer, New York on the night of 9-11. And after her shift, she hung out and had had some drinks with a few of her coworkers. You know, this was just like a really intense day. And I'm sure that they just took some comfort in being there together and wanted to chat about what had happened. So she had drinks just after work with a couple people. She then went to go see her boyfriend around 930 that night, hung out with him for a little bit. And then she left to go home around 11 o'clock that night. Now... Things were pretty complicated at that time for her because she was married and going through a divorce, but she still shared a home with her husband, Cal, and their four young children. Okay. So the next morning, around seven o'clock, her husband, Cal, ended up calling their nanny, whose name is Barbara Thayer, and asked if she could come help with the kids because Michelle hadn't come home the night before. Hmm. Okay. So that's kind of where... We end up, but let's let's backtrack a little bit here, and I just kind of want to like give a little info on who we're talking about here. So Cal Harris was from a very wealthy and prominent family in that area. They owned multiple car dealerships. He was good looking. He was a star lacrosse player when he was younger, well-liked, and just seemed to kind of have everything going for him. But Michelle came from more humble beginnings. She grew up in a very normal working class family and she and Cal ended up meeting in the late 1980s when she was working as a secretary at one of the Harris family's car dealerships. So they started dating, they fell in love and they got married in 1990 and it was sort of a fairy tale romance for her. You know, she caught the eye of this handsome, successful guy and he just kind of swept her off her feet, was able to take Mm. her to travel and do all these things and like a modern day pretty woman yeah exactly and so they ended up living on a 252 acre estate wow yeah in Owego, new york that's a lot of fucking acres okay yeah. i don't know who's responsible for mowing that but jesus <laughs> so Owego is about 200 miles north of new york city okay This couple, you know, they seem to be super happy and everyone around them thought that things were going just super great for their family. They were just kind of the perfect little unit. However, after the birth of their fourth child, 
And just for reference, at 33 years old, Michelle had four kids under the age of six. Oh, my God. So they were, like, just pumping out kids. That's a heavy, heavy job. Yeah. So after their fourth child was born, Michelle ended up telling some of her friends and family that they were actually having issues. She said that Cal was really controlling, and I guess he had a really bad temper. He would allegedly give her shit about losing weight Mm. and wanted her to, you know, dress and look a certain way. And he would end up kind of, like, belittling where she came from. Basically saying that she was small town and kind of beneath him because he grew up with money and that she was just never going to be on his level, basically. Oh, my God. Yeah, it sounds like. He sounds like a gem. Yeah, I want to hang out with this guy. And so on top of that, she found out that he was having an affair with someone who worked at one of his dealerships. Oh, I knew that was going to be the case. Yeah, he, he told Michelle that he would end the affair, but didn't. So in 2000, Michelle stopped sharing a bedroom with Cal. They kind of separated a little bit and she was sleeping on their couch. She ended up meeting and starting a relationship with a guy named Brian Early, who was 23 years old, so much younger than her and from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Michelle and Cal were living in the same house for their kids sake, but they both basically had like separate romantic relationships going on i mean i so i imagine that things were super awkward and incredibly intense in that household yeah in early 2001 michelle filed for divorce from cal and so things were already kind of ugly in their relationship but this is where things really kind of took a nasty turn for them cal told michelle that he wasn't going to let her divorce him Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to let you. Like, he can control that. Yeah. So that's that's neato. Why was he so interested in keeping her if he was having dalliances on the side? I don't know. I don't know if it was just to keep up appearances. Like an ego thing? Like, he couldn't handle? Yeah, like, how dare you, you little bottom feeder? If anybody's going to leave anybody, I'm going to leave you. Yeah, exactly. You can't leave me. Like, you're nothing without Mm me. So I'm going to keep you around and make you feel like shit. So he said, you know, I'm not going to let you divorce me. He even went to her family trying to get them to help her come to her senses and told them he thought she was using drugs. Did so he have he was, any any proof of that? No. Or was he just blowing smoke trying to? Okay. So I think he just was like, how dare you? I'm keeping you. Clearly, you must be on drugs if you think if you're even attempting to leave me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just keep our like shit stew of a relationship and just let it simmer for the rest of our lives because that's a really great plan and that's a great analogy thanks shit stew (laughs) of a relationship and let it simmer that was great (laughs) just let it hang on because that's that's what's best let's just keep it just trickling along and everyone's gonna be great at this point they were just like apparently fighting constantly not and there's four kids in the house, yeah. Yeah, okay. young kids that need a lot of attention. I'm just sure that this was like chaos. Their nanny who worked for them had overheard, you know, them arguing and fighting on multiple occasions. So it was just was definitely not a solid relationship for them and their kids. In March of 2001, Michelle told her sisters that Cal told her, I wouldn't even need a gun to kill you and police would never find your body. Okay, that's a red flag. Yeah, so eek, not great. So in July of that year, Michelle was getting her hair cut and was talking to Cal on the phone, and she ended up putting the call on speaker so her hairdresser could hear, and Cal was threatening to kill her and make her disappear. So things just kept getting nastier and nastier, and there were more and more witnesses hearing like the threats that were being made and just kind of the the negative escalation of this rocky relationship. Michelle's attorney actually said that she'd gotten an order of protection from Cal, which prohibited any physical or mental abuse. And I mean, so this is while they're living under the same roof together. Like, can you imagine having an order of protection against someone? It's really hard to have have separate lives. Exactly. It's really hard to do that when you have to share a household. Yeah. I mean, depending on how big that house is, I mean, one could occupy one level and the other, the other, but there's one kitchen and you've got four children in the fray at some point mm-hmm. it's impossible to not cross paths on, yeah. a, on a regular basis throughout the day and it's impossible for there not to be tensions that surface and 
to keep it cool in that situation. So Cal's net worth was estimated at $5.4 million. So he was doing pretty well for himself. So in June of that same year, Cal was supposed to pay the mortgage, bills, and any household expenses, as well as a $400 a week kind of allowance or whatever to Michelle directly. Like alimony Yeah, Yeah, but this was kind of the agreement prior to the divorce being finalized. Was this an agreement between the two of them or was this legal? Was this a legal agreement? This was a legal agreement. Okay, so by court... By the court, by law, he was required to, to follow yes, this. Yes, that's okay. what he was supposed to cover until the the final divorce settlement was was reached. Okay. So I, that was just kind of in the meantime. For his net worth, I feel like $400 a week is not – it was a week or a month? A week, yeah. I feel like what that's $1,600 a month. That's like not that much. Yeah. And if she's only working part-time as a server, she's not making much. I mean, he was he was covering all of the the household expenses, so I'm assuming like food and everything else. So that was just kind of like yeah, but they're in they're in New York. Like, yeah, gosh, no, I I know expensive. I saw that I like read it a couple times. I was like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. So also as part of this agreement, he was supposed to move all of his guns out of the home. <laughs> I'm assuming for that order of protection, he had to move them out until Michelle had at least moved out. So all of his firearms went to his dad and his brother. Cal offered Michelle full custody of their kids and a settlement of $740,000 over 10 years, but Michelle refused the offer. Mm. (laughs) So around the same time, Michelle's boyfriend, Brian, had moved from Pennsylvania to New York, which I'm sure just amplified the shittiness of everything that was going on. Brian was a lot younger than Michelle, and he really, I think, was planning on marrying her after her divorce. I don't think that she had that same level of commitment, but that was kind of his plan. So he was all in, and he'd moved to the area. You said he was 23, right? Yes. Yeah, so he was at that stage where he wanted to get married and settle down, have kids. And she's like, I've been married. It sucked. I've got four kids. Probably don't want any more. Yeah, and I'm... I'm sure she wasn't trying to, like, jump right into another marriage. That's true. Yeah. And after her disappearance, like, once the investigation started, Michelle was linked to having relationships with with some other men. But I'll kind of of get to those. Oh, Michelle. Yeah. Okay. Get, Get it, girl. In August of 2001... Cal had offered Michelle full custody of the kids and now $80,000 a year for 10 years. 80? Oh, $80,000 a year. For yeah. Years. So okay. it was, it would now be like 800000 yeah. He would pay that, uh, you know, for the alimony and child support. Apparently she did agree to this arrangement, but hadn't confirmed that yet with Cal. She was meeting with her divorce attorney on September 12th. So mm, she was supposed to meet with him the day after, which I'm assuming she just wanted to kind of discuss everything with them first before she committed. So Michelle had had also made plans to go to New York City on September 13th and 14th to pawn some of her jewelry, which included a Rolex watch and her engagement ring from Cal, which I think was like two carats. Oh, but the money she made from selling those items was going to go towards a down payment on a house that she was planning on getting with her boyfriend, Brian. So okay, they were, so they were serious. Yeah, they were making plans to to do some things together, but she'd racked up some some credit card debt. So it seems like she was just really trying to kind of be independent, but get ahead financially and be ready to move forward with Brian. And she was also working at Lefties, this, this bar, and was really just trying to gain her independence. I have a question. Uh-huh. Why was Cal so willing to provide full custody for the four children? I don't know. For him having such control over her, I exactly. can't believe that he... Like, I, I thought the same thing when I was, was doing the research on this. I was like, I can't believe that he would let her do that. Yeah, I have a problem with a parent so willingly able to give up time... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because then he would just have visitation and I'm certain it would be just a slice of the time that she would have with the children. And is there any indication as to what kind of dad he was? No. But I I, I mean, I think that she was, she stayed at home with the kids and was probably kind of the primary caretaker. And I mean, it could have been too that he thought if she has these kids all the time, she's not going to have the freedom that she thinks she's going to get. You know, he might have more of the freedom to go out and 
do the things that he wanted. But if mm-hmm. she was stuck with four kids by herself, that mm-hmm. it might be a way to kind of be like, well, fuck you then. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. But the people close to her said that at this time, she was just really looking forward to a fresh start for her and her kids. So she was really excited for the future. Those are kind of, you know, just the events that kind of led up to September 12th. So the day or the day after, I guess, when she was supposed to meet with her lawyer. Yeah. And that they like realized that she didn't come home and was known to be missing at that point. So Brian, her boyfriend, had to move to New York. She went over to his house after her shift, after the drinks with her co-workers. And then she went Mm -hmm. over to Brian's and she left Brian's at like 11 poof disappeared yeah remember cal called their nanny barbara thayer to come help with the kids because michelle hadn't come home the night before so she was like yeah sure you know and was concerned she was really close with michelle and so she came came right over and um when barbara arrived at the harris's home that morning again this is the morning of september 12th she saw michelle's minivan parked on the street at the end of their driveway now, if this is a 252-acre estate, I'm assuming their driveway is pretty goddamn long. Yeah. And I assume the minivan is the is, was her primary mode of transportation, yes. and that's what she had with her the night before. You wouldn't have been able to see that her van was parked out there from the house. Were there security cameras on the compound? It never said. I never saw that. my first thought was, if Cal was responsible for her disappearance, she came home, he may be moved her van or something i don't think so because it was never mentioned sure yeah because if i were an investigating detective i'd be like first damn thing you have home security and if so can i see the tapes yeah and if it's like not working or whatever that's a big red flag so barb the nanny stops as she gets to their driveway and gets out to look in the van um the van was actually unlocked and michelle's keys were still in the ignition but she was nowhere to be found. That's weird. So she drives up to the house and she tells Cal that the van is at the end of the driveway. And he just says, oh, well, we better go get it then. Like, no big deal. Whatever. He didn't seem surprised or concerned. But they end up going down to get the van. Which and I'm sure Barb's like, uh, what the fuck are we doing? And Barb thought that since the van was there, Michelle might be nearby. So maybe she was sick or, you know, got hurt and and stumbled away or whatever. So she was like, let's let's look for her. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look around where the van is. Maybe something happened. 252 acres here, man. Yeah. Like she could have just stumbled off and we need to go find her. Cal told her that she was planning on going to New York City that day. So that's where she was. Now, maybe she was originally planning on going that day, but... I'm assuming it was probably pretty fucking hard to get into New York City the day after the terrorist attacks. Yeah. Everything was shut the fuck down. You couldn't just like cruise in Mm -mm. to New York. So that doesn't make any sense. But Barbara's like, well, how is she going to get there? Like her van is right here. My thoughts exactly, Barb. And Cal told her that she was probably going to hitchhike. What? That makes no sense. Like, she's trying to get to Woodstock. <laughs> she has a, vo- a fucking vehicle, Cal. And if she was going to New York, why didn't she come home and get ready? Like, just none of it made any damn sense. And his cavalier attitude is like... Whatever. Like, not worried Red one flag bit. number four. Yeah. So he also ended up pointing out how messy the van was to Barb and said that he was going to have to get it cleaned. Cal just ends up leaving for work. Goes on to shit. work. Nope. And Barb stays with the kids, even though Cal's all, you know, loosey-goosey about the situation. Barb is super concerned about Michelle. They were close. She loved her. She knew that she would not have left her kids. Mama bear. Yeah. And would have let someone know if she wasn't going to be there. So she calls a friend of, of Michelle's and asks if she'd heard from her. And she hadn't. But she knew about Michelle's appointment with her divorce attorney and decided to go ahead and call them. After he learned that Michelle hadn't come home and that she wasn't answering her cell phone, the attorney decided to call the police and ended up reporting her missing. Mm, His spidey senses were off. Yeah, because he knew, you know, obviously she'd had the order of protection against him and he's just like, nope, we're going to get ahead of this. Something's fishy here, yeah. Something's rotten in Denmark. And so since this is the day after the terrorist attack and not far from New York City... 
a lot of law enforcement personnel and resources like search dogs, aircraft, etc., had all been sent to New York City to assist in searches mm -hmm. going on there. So two investigators were still in that area and were sent out to talk to Cal. They went to his his work. I guess he was at the dealership. They wanted to, you know, get some information about his missing wife that had been reported missing by her fucking attorney. He ended up going with them back to his house. He gave them permission to search the house and his truck and take the van if they needed to. He also told them that she had been drinking a lot and possibly using cocaine. So he's just like throwing this out. To yeah, police. he's kind of disparaging her. I mean, maybe she was. I don't know. But yeah, still. But she's still missing. So. I mean, wouldn't that even be more cause for concern? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, my God. Think. Yes, we were going through a messy separation and divorce. But, you know, I don't want the, the mother of my four children missing or any harm to come to her. And also, she was sort of relying on, you know, self-medication with alcohol and, and maybe hardcore drugs like cocaine. Something could terribly be wrong. Maybe she, you know, there was a drug deal gone wrong. I don't know. But yeah, she overdosed somewhat. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what shit he was trying to pull. People close to her denied these allegations. Yeah, she probably enjoyed a drink here and there, but she, there was no indication that she had a drinking problem or was using drugs. So police ended up doing a very thorough search of their property. They ended up eventually using dogs and helicopter, helicopter, helicopters. Yeah. Helicopters. Those are the stealth kind. Yeah. Those mm -hmm. are really helpful in a search. That's right. Yeah. So they eventually ended up using dogs and helicopters to search for Michelle. Divers were brought in to search a small pond near where her van was found. Was this pond on their property or yes. adjacent to it? It yeah. was on their property. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and there was actually a larger lake that that bordered their property, and that was searched as well. So, I mean, there was a very thorough search for her. And they didn't find her. They found nothing. Okay. And since her disappearance, there's been no activity on her cell phone, credit cards, or bank accounts. So, officers ended up going to Lefty's, the restaurant where Michelle worked, and talked to the guys who she had hung out with. The night before, mm -hmm. on the 11th, one of them had apparently had a secret romantic relationship with Michelle. Like, mm. I think maybe one other person knew about it. Like, it was very, very secret. And this person's not Brian. Correct. Okay. So Brian yeah. didn't even know about it. No. Okay. So there's that guy. And then the other guy there had served 10 years in prison for rape. Oh, prior okay. in Arizona. So that's that's not great. Not when Michelle is missing. No, no. So police are just like fucking red flags who like, holy shit, there's all these people kind of tied to her. However, both of these guys were cleared as suspects after they took and passed lie detector tests. So next up, naturally, they go to the boyfriend, Brian Early. He agreed to let police search his house and a hunting cabin that his family owned. He also was cleared very quickly after passing a lie detector test, but they were all very cooperative and were cleared very quickly. So that basically leaves Cal. Yeah. Who had motive and was acting like shady as fuck. He really just seemed kind of unbothered by her disappearance I mean, he went to work that day. He didn't give a fuck. Cow, cow, bow, bow, banana, fana, fo, fell. I don't give a fuck. Cal. Yes, exactly. I think that's what the police said in their report. Plus, he'd made multiple comments over the years about hurting and killing Michelle. Right. I was just going to say that. Like A hmm. lot of people had hurt. Like, it just wasn't a secret. There was some physical evidence that had made him the prime suspect as well. While searching their home three days after her disappearance, investigators found what appeared to be blood spatter on the walls in the garage, oh. as well as some like on the doorway going into the house. And I think there was like a little foyer area and then a kitchen and there was like blood found. Oh, like not a ton. Like a violent fight was occurring and, sh and, and it was moving throughout the house. Correct. Like that's, that's uh. definitely what it appeared. So 
they found more, like I said, in the kitchen and inside the house. And it did end up being human blood. And once DNA testing was completed, it was found that the blood belonged to Michelle or at least a member of her immediate family. Mm, okay. So it wasn't specifically hers, but it definitely was human blood. How 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 effective was DNA testing in 2001? I don't know. And I kind of thought, like, as I was researching this, like, why wasn't it tested later on to determine i feel like dna testing popped on the scene late 80s early 90s by 2001 it was probably still 20 plus 23 years later here we are we've made a lot of strides so i'm guessing that dna was still relative i don't want to say rudimentary but it's not like trace dna testing that we have today yeah but you'll see like as we get further into this it's like really surprising to me that it was never confirmed to be hers or not oh like they didn't even like rerun it not that i know of not that i ever saw so the house was then kind of considered to be a crime scene yeah and initially cal didn't have an explanation for the blood in the garage in the house but then magically he remembered that michelle had cut herself in the garage probably like a month before the the disappearance and then flailed through the house? Yeah, because, I mean, you know how it is when you're just, like, tooting around in the garage and then you nick an artery and, and <laughs> spray blood all over your goddamn house. <laughs> I mean, I hate, hate it when that, when happens. that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I went out to shovel today and I was like, here we go. I'm going to nick an jugular. Mm-hmm. I know it. Yeah, every time. So they also searched Michelle's van and found her cell phone and a bag with her jewelry, which is the jewelry that she had planned to pawn. For the down payment of her house. Yeah. Those things you would assume would be with her if she had gone somewhere. So they found Cal and Brian, the boyfriend's fingerprints, in her vehicle, but that was to be expected. Both Mm -hmm. of them had been in the minivan, so that wasn't any big deal they did find some fingerprints that belonged to an unidentified person but overall they didn't find anything super helpful so it was just kind of like shit so police really had their sights set on cal but michelle's family was super suspicious as well they confronted cal about the threats that he'd made against michelle because she had confided in her sisters about the events that had been going on over the years. Mm-hmm. So they knew what was up. And apparently there was an incident in 1996 when Michelle called her sisters from a closet inside their house where she was hiding from him. And on the phone, they could hear Cal outside the closet cocking a shotgun multiple times. Oh, my God. Like they're they're hearing all this. She's just like panicking, sitting in this closet, closet hiding from him. And at first he denied that this had happened and then he finally admitted it, but he was like, I wasn't being serious. Mm, okay. Cal. Because you know, he was just kidding around because that's fucking hilarious. Cal. Mm, mm-hmm. T fucking mm-hmm. he, I, I love playing <laughs> T fucking he, <laughs> <laughs> I love play shotgun. Going to kill me in the head play. Do you want to play shotgun closet? Give me a 10 second head start. Okay. Oh, my God. Like, fuck off, dude. So he was actually being really helpful with police, you know, for the most part. But he also wasn't helping try to find Michelle. He wasn't helping with any searches. He hadn't reached out to any friends or family trying to locate her. He wasn't pressing police for any answers. That's a red flag. I mean, if my wife was missing, you can bet I would be... You wouldn't shut up about it. I would be up. You would be up their asses. I would be bombarding them trying to figure out what was Mm -hmm. going on, wanting answers. So he actually seemed just, you know, kind of fine that she was gone. And within, I think, like three weeks of her going missing, he had restarted a relationship with an ex-girlfriend. And their nanny, Barb, had said that he was known to have like a really bad temper and would just kind of like fly off the handle about pretty much anything but was chill as hell after she was missing like just couldn't be bothered but to this point there's not a whole lot that can be done and she wasn't found after multiple extensive searches and like we've seen in a lot of cases when there's no body 
or a weapon or a crime scene, it's hard to bring charges against yeah, someone. Yeah, the case kind of stalls. Yeah. So, question. Mm-hmm. How was he with the kids after she went missing? I know, was there wasn't... Nothing there? I really, I think just kind of life went on as normal. Okay. And I don't know if, like, his family was helping him out or what. I just didn't get – there wasn't a whole lot of info about the kids at this point, like, whenever mm-hmm. they were little and this was going yeah. on. Okay. On September 30th of 2005, so four mm. years later, mm-hmm. investigators thought that they probably had enough to get a conviction against Cal, even without a body. Oh. And so he ended up being arrested. And this was just kind of based on – like his behavior and the threats that he'd made leading up to her disappearance. Like they were kind of banking on that a lot. So he was indicted on second degree murder, but this ended up being dismissed by a judge because most of the testimony that was leading to this indictment was based on hearsay, which mm. isn't admissible, but there, and there's like so many twists in this fucking case. So just bear with me. Okay. So a month later, a second grand jury indicted him again, and this time it actually went to trial. Okay. Since there was no body or weapon, like I said, the case was completely circumstantial. circumstantial. The prosecution argued that Cal had killed Michelle in their home late on the night of September 11th, or like early the morning of the 12th, and had disposed her body at an unknown location. And there was some pretty damning evidence against him. Their nanny, Barbara, testified during the trial. She continued working for Cal, I think, like, around a year after Michelle's disappearance. So she, I guess she was probably a huge help to him Mm -hmm. as far as, like, with the kids and everything. She said that Cal had mentioned having a yard sale to get rid of Michelle's belongings within, like, weeks of her going missing. Mm. No one knew if she was alive but he was just like, let's get our stuff out of here. Yeah, yeah, let's just uh, check that box and move forward. Also, an employee of Cal's at the car dealership testified that he'd asked him to clean the interior and the exterior of his truck when he came to work that day. Mm. Okay. So he like had left the kids, went to work, and was like, dude, clean my truck, top to bottom, whatever. Was this a common request? I don't think so. And I think it was just kind of like, why are you worried about that today? There's so many red flags. It was just like one thing after another. You're like, what the fuck? And Henry Lee, who mm-hmm. is a world famous criminologist, he's been part of some high profile cases. He testified that he couldn't determine exactly how long the blood found in the home had been there. Mm-hmm. But he said that it didn't appear to have been there for a month, like Cal had stated, that it seemed fresher, fresher. It was like really red and just seemed like it was new blood he also said that the size and shape of the blood spatter was consistent with blunt force trauma like being hit with a hammer or a similar object not from a bloody nose or like a kid cutting themselves or just like general blood that might be found it has you know with six people living in it all these things are just kind of stacking up but then on the other side of things Cal said that the yard sale was all the nanny's idea, not his. So he's arguing that. And Barbara's saying, uh-uh, that was his idea. Yeah, okay. so that was the dispute. So it's Well, just I like, mean, what's a case if you don't have some he said, she said? Flag? Yeah, exactly. Who's going to know? Those are the only two people there. Like, mm-hmm. how do you get to the bottom of that? He was cooperative with police and investigators didn't notice any signs of a cleanup at the house when they showed up the day of the disappearance. Like there weren't obvious like bleach smells or cleaner, like a mop with, you know, like a wet bucket somewhere Mm -hmm. or whatever. So fan going on high speed over a wet spot. Yeah. And it wasn't ever really clear how much blood was actually found in the house. There was kind of conflicting reports on that. And none of Michelle's blood was found in the sink traps of the house. So, It's like where, if if it was a bloody crime scene, where the hell would he have cleaned up yeah. himself, you know, any any blood on the floor, whatever. So it was kind of like. And I assume they, they thoroughly checked all acreage, all 252 mm-hmm. acres. Yeah, yeah okay. there was multiple searches that were done. Plus, there's still no fucking body, which always makes things super complicated. Yeah. 
So at the end of the trial, the jury ended up finding Cal guilty of murdering Michelle. Oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. But, and I mean, this is like the first of many huge fucking butts. So we've got Twistvilles. Oh, yeah. Okay. The day after he was convicted, a dude named Kevin Tubbs, who lived near the Harris's house, was just reading the newspaper, saw a picture of Michelle on the front page, and he ends up contacting police and was like, you know what? The morning that Michelle went missing, he saw her on the road next to her driveway, as well as a dark colored, likely like a dark blue or black Chevy pickup. And a man who wasn't Cal was arguing with Michelle and she was crying. So Mm. this is like years after she went missing. This motherfucker lives right down the road. And it wasn't until Cal was convicted that it dawned on him. Oh, yeah. This is the lady that I saw that morning years ago. Okay. that, that Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess better late than never, huh? I mean, what the fuck, Kevin? Where have you been? God damn it, Kev. Yeah. Perhaps his eyes and ears went missing with Michelle. I don't fucking know. But like, <laughs> this had to have been huge news in that area. Like, if he lived right down the road, he was fully aware of the situation. Yeah. Like, and then he's like, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm going to call police now. Oh, my God. I think that was that girl that I saw years ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe they convicted him. Well, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he was like, look, if he is acquitted, no harm, no foul. I don't want to get involved. Maybe he is, like, suspicious of police. He doesn't trust the authority. I, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. he's got a rap sheet of his own. Like, there's a number, there's a host of reasons why somebody would not get involved with some case. But it just kind of seemed like he was like, that morning. Like an aha moment. He recognized Michelle and was like, I saw her that specific morning. It's like, no, I don't think memories work like that. But any hoozles, I don't fucking Well, know. we know how very reliable witness testimony is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You should hinge everything on witness testimony. Yeah. 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 So Kevin worked on a farm and he said he was pulling a hay wagon along the road sometime around like 545 on the morning of the 12th. He was driving super slow on the narrow road and it was still pretty dark outside. So I'm assuming the sun was like just starting to come up. But he said he saw Michelle and this unidentified man at the end of her driveway at that time and was adamant about it. I mean, if this was true, it means that Cal couldn't have killed her the night before in their home and it definitely presents the possibility of another suspect do cal and this kevin guy have any connection i don't think so i think this would just happen to be a guy that lived in the area he was heading to work as a farmhand happened to see it i'm sure there weren't many people out at that time and whether true or not how adamant he was that he saw michelle arguing with a guy that was not Cal, it certainly calls into question. Yeah. And he was able to provide, it wasn't just like, I saw a lady and a guy down there. It was, I mean, I don't think he talks like that in New York, but the uh, amount of detail and like descriptions that he was able to provide of the two individuals of the vehicle of the time, like it was like it had happened the day before. And he was just had so much information. And he was able to recall that clarity Apparently. Years later? Yeah, yeah. It's very bizarre. Okay. So, of course, Cal's attorneys are like, fuck yeah, hot damn. This is great. So they file a motion to dismiss the guilty verdict, and it was granted. So, but then, of course, the prosecution appeals that motion, which was also granted. And so the case is going to another trial. This is a case of hot potato, people. Oh, just fucking wait. In 2007... So now, six years later, another helpy helperton named John Steele comes forward and said he also saw a man and a woman arguing at the Harris driveway by two vehicles the morning of the 12th. So just magically, all these motherfuckers were like cruising around that morning at dawn. He said as he drove past the home, <laughs> he said he heard the man say, just get in the damn car. Okay. And, and so after he came forward with this, he ended up passing away about a year later. So his w- witness testimony ended up being 
deemed inadmissible hearsay. Once again, this just keeps happening. It may have been absolute bullshit. Did he pass away under non suspicious circumstances right yeah okay okay it didn't say how but there wasn't any his time was up right okay and again i don't know why six years later another person in that area comes forward the case goes back to trial but in a different county with a different judge the evidence and arguments presented by the prosecution were pretty much the same because they're like we don't have anything anything new but this time the defense now had the testimony of Kevin Tubbs, mm. Mr. Haywagon, who said he saw Michelle in the mystery <laughs> man the morning of her disappearance. The prosecution picked apart his eyewitness testimony, as they should, saying that it was too dark that morning for him to accurately identify that it was her. And also the whole, I recognize the woman in the picture in the newspaper from four years ago thing was questionable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And John Steele had, of course, died at this point, but the defense put his son on the stand why to speak for his father i'm playing the role of my dad today yeah i don't know why we have everybody talking in in 1940 southern accents in northern <laughs> yeah. new york upper state new york dear cow was not near there that morning <laughs> i do declare <laughs> i did see him i did i tell yeah. you sir it was that man that one right there your honor i'm looking at him right now in a court here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I love our impressions. I, I really, I think we should go on the road, man. Spot like, on. Yeah. But so his son is put on the stand for whatever fucking reason. And he said, you know, my dad didn't always tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this. Oh so my God. I'm, this is a fucking shit show. I yeah, love so it. I'm, I'm sure the defense was like, God damn it. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and he also just kind of added that his dad had thought Cal was guilty of the murder, but that Michelle deserved it because of her extramarital relationships. So that it was fine. Oh my God, I can't even. I can't even. I'm sure the defense was like, we practice this, you dipshit. But why is it always the woman's fault? Why is the woman the one that's like, I can't believe she stepped out on her husband. But he was stepping out. To- why is it okay for the man to have yeah. the sex? But right? it's not okay for the woman to have the sex. I am so... Ugh. He cheated on her for years. Right? Before she cheated on him. And then she was like, okay. She never cheated on him because they had ended their relationship. So she was separated, had another relationship. like So that warrants her being so, murdered. Are you fucking in, kidding me? In my opinion, even if you are legally married, if you have had the conversation and you have ended the relationship and it is understood by both parties that that relationship is over. Even if your divorce isn't final yet, in my opinion, if you have another relationship, you are not cheating on someone. I think cheating is when you haven't had that conversation with your spouse or significant other and they're none the wiser. That's fucking cheating. And just the, the stigma that like, Oh, I've been I've been cheating for years, but you do it, and now now I'm real pissed and right. whatever, and now I get to murder you. It's like fuck a bunch of that. I hate that shit. And also, the relationship is over, so she's not cheating. You're just fucking jealous. Yeah, I'm against the idea or the stereotype that it's the woman's fault. Yeah, and if she had 19 boyfriends, who gives a fuck? Who gives a flying fuck? Good for her, girl. Live yeah. your best life. Who cares? You've had them for years, Cal. Right? Everything about this case is like annoying and frustrating and a little fired up. Once again, though, Cal was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. So, of course, Cal and his team appealed the jury's decision. Of course, yes. Because apparently a juror had an Uh, opinion on the case fuck prior to the trial the defense had requested that she be removed from the jury that wasn't yeah that request was denied so then the defense team yeah now they're coming back after wasting all that time so the defense team appealed the verdict it was thrown out due to the impartiality of the juror 
and an error regarding insufficient instructions to the jury regarding hearsay testimony that was loud. I don't know what that was, but those were like the two reasons that were given. Oh, yeah. Okay. So now there is a third fucking trial in a new county, 125 miles away. You know, because we want impartiality. So you're probably thinking that there is no way Cal didn't do this, right? Are you kind of feeling that? I'm not convinced, but I will say that there's a lot of red flags. All roads are kind of leading to Calville. You know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah, it doesn't look good for Cal. Yeah. So the defense team in this trial stated that the police put way too much focus on Cal and that distracted them from looking into other possible suspects. I mean... Yeah, I mean... I get it. Sometimes police get like, oh, it's the ex-husband or it's the estranged husband. And then they like have blinders on. So I get it. I get it. So in fact, they actually offered a whole new suspect for Michelle's murder. Are you ready? I'm (laughs) ready. Yeah. So his name is Stacy Stewart. Who the fuck is Stacy Stewart? Yeah. He was from Texas. Well, I, I don't think we should hold that against him. No. The great state of Texas, the great country of Texas. Yeah, right? Everything's bigger, including the assholes, you'll see. So he was from Texas, but he had come to New York to work at a new steel plant that I guess had opened in that area. He had, because he was working in that area, had become a regular at Lefty's, the bar where Michelle was working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And an ex-girlfriend of his testified that he told her he had murdered someone and was the last person to see Michelle alive. And that he knew how to hide a body. And that he had been involved with the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. Awesome. So, super I mean, funsies. let me put down my nominees for Man of the Year. <laughs> Stacey <laughs> Stace Stewart. Stacey Stewart. How many times can I vote? <laughs> So, so Stacy had moved back to Texas and law enforcement just couldn't find him. Wait, okay. So he was from Texas. He went to New York. Then he moved back to Texas and pff. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, so we need to find this guy. We need to question him. Where the fuck is he? And so this is why the testimony was coming from his ex-girlfriend because they couldn't find this guy. So this case is just a fucking mess. Kevin Tubbs, Mr. Haywagon that saw Michelle that morning. Right. Was shown a photo of Stacy, and okay. he was adamant that that was the man he saw with Michelle the morning that she disappeared. And and at the time that he was living in New York, Stacy had a truck that matched the description of the truck that Kevin had given police. And so the prosecution at this point really had nothing new to add and presented the same circumstantial evidence that they had in the first two trials. Reasonable doubt. Yep. The jury was deadlocked and a mistrial was declared. Son of a fucker. So trial number fucking four. Um, Do taxpayers dollars pay for this? Um, I would say so, yes. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Okay. So trial four began in March of 2016. 15 years of this madness. Was Cal in jail this whole time because his previous conviction was upheld? He was off and on, I believe. I'm not, it, I couldn't get like a good picture of like how so he was long in, he, he posted was. bail, then he went back, yeah. and then he posted Yeah, but okay. he was at least in prison for years at certain points. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, I can't, at this point, I can't even imagine like the frustration of her family and friends and the people close. And I mean, even the attorneys. And side note, we don't have a body. Like where is Michelle? Like at the, at the heart of this, we have a woman who just like, where is she? Exactly. So there's no answers. And it's just like, this wheel is just fucking spinning and it's crazy so in this trial cal actually ended up waiving his right to be tried by a jury and so the trial was just heard by a judge okay so they kind of went a different route which yeah because it's trial number four and he's like this is a fucking shit show well yeah i I mean and at this point two juries have found him guilty you know so his chances are probably better with just a judge than so the prosecution finally had some new information in their arsenal Oh, yeah. So enter convicted murderer, 
Gregory Farr. Okay, that's Who fun. had been in prison with Cal at some point. I'm not sure which trial, whatever. But he testified that he had allegedly heard Cal threaten another inmate. And he said, I'll make you disappear like I made my wife disappear. You know, uh, jailhouse snitching. It's it's never trustworthy. Was he in life? It was like life without parole for Mr. Gregory Farr? Like, I- it didn't say. But... <sighs> During his testimony, he suddenly invoked his Fifth Amendment rights and refused to answer any more questions. So he was like, yeah, he said this. And then like, but at the trial, he was like, Mm. never mind. I'm not answering Mm -hmm. questions. No, no. So what about Stacey Stewart? This dude is still just in the wind, somehow is unable to be located, which is baffling to me that at this point it's 2016. How are we not finding this guy? So the defense focused on a guy named David Thomason, who was a friend of Stacy's and was actually in jail at that time. So they wanted him to testify, but he said that if they forced him to take the stand at the trial, he would just plead the fifth. So he was like, I'm not doing it. Nope, I'm not. I'm not talking about my buddy, whatever. However, David's wife agreed to testify, which cracks me up because all these like ex-girlfriends and wives are coming forward. Like, I'll do it. Whatevs. Um, can I have my 15 minutes in the spotlight, please? Yeah. So she testified that David had told her that he, Stacy, and Michelle went to a bar on September 11th. And when he left, Michelle and Stacy were still together. Once he heard of Michelle's disappearance, he assumed that Stacy had killed her and buried her somewhere in concrete, which is really fucking like, specific. I don't know where that came from, but this is what he told his his wife. Another woman who was friends with both David and Stacy came forward and said that David had told her he'd been suspected of murdering a woman in New York, but he wasn't worried about it anymore because her husband, Cal, had been convicted of the murder. So soon after Michelle's disappearance, both David and Stacy disappeared from New York and went back to Texas. Stacy had actually bought a house he ended up leaving so abruptly that he didn't even make the first payment on it. Okay. Like he just fucking fled, disappeared, hasn't been found. Okay. Super, super sketch. Stacy's truck was located and they ended up searching it. They found blood stains on the back seat and on the interior of the doors, as well as some earrings that Cal said were similar to some that he had given Michelle. Now, there wasn't any information about the blood if it was matched to Michelle. It was just kind of like, okay, well, what? So there's blood, but we're not going to do anything with it? Yeah, that was just kind of the end of it. I'm like, oh, let's test that shit. This is so fucking sloppy. And of course Cal is going to say, you know, those earrings look a little, they look very similar to the earrings. I definitely gave. gave those to Michelle. So, and then there was also some eyewitness testimony. Like some people came forward and said that they had seen Stacy burning bloody clothing after Michelle's disappearance. Like, and all of this is coming out in what, 2016? Yeah. You need to come, you need to tell somebody that shit. Like if I saw somebody burning bloody clothes, I'd be like, that's kind of a thing. Like it's not a common thing. It's a common thing to get together for like a block party and like you just, you know, you know, like grill some hamburgers. It's not a common thing to get together and like, I don't know, burn bloody clothes. It didn't give any details about like where this was, why these people were around. Why is this all coming out 15 fucking years later? Exactly. Cal's defense team was actually able to find this burn pit. They dug it up. They dug it up. They found a bra strap and pieces of cloth that were allegedly consistent with the clothing that Michelle had last been seen wearing. Holy shit. This this new information was was presented by the defense and Cal was found not guilty of murder in this trial. I, and he I'm not surprised that's reasonable yep. doubt. He was acquitted of all charges at that point. So four trials I'm he a, was acquitted. So walking home free as a jaybird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So even with all the the damning evidence against Stacey Stewart, Michelle's family remains adamant that Cal was responsible for her murder. But Cal is equally as adamant that he had nothing to do with the death of his wife. So Cal and Michelle's four children have 
always believed in their father's innocence and have never wavered in their support for him. They've stood beside him and they are actually, unfortunately, like estranged from Michelle's family, which Mm. makes me really sad because, I mean, they were all, if they were under the age of six at that point, none of them probably really have any memories of their mom. Well, and they were probably fed information. Oh, for sure. And if it's all coming from like Cal and his family. So, Mm. but that's, that's really it. No charges have been brought against Stacey Stewart. Or anyone else. and They've never found Michelle's body, although yeah. she was burned. Or it, it may have just been like clothing and evidence that was burned. Not necessarily her. Oh, you're right. She may have been buried or whatever. And the what, <sighs> the friend the friend had said that he thought that he'd killed her and buried her in concrete. So I don't know if that was something that was told to him at one point. And... Stacy had told him that he'd killed her and put her in concrete somewhere. I mean, this this case is like just so frustrating because there's years and years of trials and new evidence and testimony coming in just like years after her disappearance. But really, there's no answers. Nothing has ever been resolved. Michelle's never been found. Her family never got any answers. Like it's there's been no justice for Michelle. Yeah. And, you know, yes, maybe police like focused in on Cal too early and didn't spend more time looking at other suspects. If it hadn't happened right whenever like this huge tragedy in the U.S. happened, like what if police like more efforts been put into investigating the case? Would the outcome have been different? I mean, it's just so hard to say. This is a case of woulda, shoulda, coulda. Mm-hmm. Damn. If I, if I were a member of Michelle's family, I would be so fucking frustrated. Yeah. Also, where, where is Michelle? Like, and I mean, they lost relationships with their grandchildren or their nieces and nephews or whatever. And it's just like, yeah. And so here we are into 2023. So they're adults. All of them are adults. Oh yeah. So in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the court system, has this, case been resolved or is it just cal is not responsible in the eyes of the law i don't know if it's considered an open case like i don't know if she has been declared dead or if this is still just like considered a missing persons case but it would be a cold case at this point you know yeah because if he was found not guilty in trial number four well then who did it yeah, and he can't be tried again. Like, so he's out. If he did it, he got away with it. <laughs> if if not, then there's a murderer out there somewhere. And it doesn't seem like there's a ton of effort going into finding yeah. who did it. So it's really frustrating. But this case, I just, researching it, I was like, oh, what my, I was just like, fuck, constantly. Because there's just all these twist I but mean, it's then years but and then, years yeah yeah this guy says he saw this and then this guy's wife was like nope i heard this and it just and then at the end of it you didn't get an answer yeah exactly like i just kept waiting for for something but that's the unfortunate case of michelle harris and her disappearance and that was a crazy tale i hope all four of her children are doing okay i hope that even though they stand by their dad, I hope that they don't not stand by their mom. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I hope that they're told good things about her because the people that cared about Michelle said that she just was happy and had like this amazing smile and just loved life. And it seemed like she loved her kids. Like they were her world and she was excited to have like a new life with them. And yeah. um, And so I hope that, that they know that, but fuck that, that was, that was intense. Thank you again for the, the case suggestion from Aaron. Yeah, Aaron, girl. Please keep listening. It's people like you that make us like super stoked to, to show up episode after episode. And if anybody else has case suggestions, please feel free to send them to crimehotelpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Tell everybody if you haven't already. Please follow us on Instagram and or Facebook. Subscribe, follow, rate, review if you haven't already. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, sweet reviews are always appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you subscribe, then you won't miss any of the episodes. That's pretty sweet. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it so hard. So hard. <laughs> oh, you're from Boston, eh? Yeah. Wait, no, that was that was totally North Dakota. <laughs> so. Bye, Jamie. Goodbye, Carrie. I'll see you later. You won't see me because you'll be sleeping. But <laughs> that is so fucking great. <laughs> You guys are so awesome. <laughs> oh, hi. Have you met Drunk Carrie? Excuse me. Your balls are showing. Awesome. I love balls. <laughs> Way out of who? You're like, hey, dummy. <laughs> I'm having so much fun right now. <laughs> okay. Fucking A. Somebody pay attention to me. Just toot on through it. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs>